Welcome to the Alien Probe Podcast. On April 27th, 1949, the U.S. Air Force stated, the mere existence of some yet unidentified flying objects necessitates a constant vigilance on the part of Project Saucer personnel and on the part of civilian of the civilian population. Today we'll be discussing the book, The Flying Saucers Are Real by Donald Kehoe. Joining Deb and I today is Dr. Bill. Welcome, Bill. Are you there? Thank you. How are you? I'm here. Can you hear me? Yeah, I can hear you now. Good. How are you doing? Awesome. Awesome. Right. Thanks for joining us today. Uh, tell me about uh, Mr. Kehoe. What, what, what's his What's his story? I read the. I know you've read a couple of books with him. Yeah, I've read two books. I've read two books by him. One uh, that you just introduced, "Flying Saucers Are Real," and the second book, uh, "Flying Saucers from Outer Space." Um, basically, what I could find out about Doctor or not Doctor Kehoe, but Donald Kehoe. Um, he was an Annapolis grad that uh, had to take a medical retirement in 1923 from, from an air crash, which apparently ruined one of his arms. And he um, uh, was, in a, was a Marine Corps, a Marine Airman, I guess. I don't know what they had at that point. And then uh, in, he returned to active duty in World War II as a training officer in the Marine Air Corps. And he retired at the end of that time as a major. And apparently his uh, job was a freelance writer. And he wrote for mostly, apparently, well, not mostly, but his UFO stuff appeared mostly in True, Ma True Magazine, which before I'd read his books, I hadn't really heard of. Yeah, I know there was so, a couple uh, as we were growing up. There was True and there was another one. Life, well, I don't know if it's Life. But... Did you see... Did you see True when we were growing up? I don't remember seeing it. It sounds familiar, but I don't think it was one of the, you know, larger publications that we would, you know, run across. Yeah, it was out there. There was like a sister publication. Uh, I looked it up, some of the things to find out about it. The sister publication, we knew Argosy. Remember Argosy? Yeah, Argosy? oh yeah. yeah. I've seen that. Uh, so True was sort of in that, uh, True was a little different. Argosy was, was uh, sort of a competitor, I guess. Right. And True Magazine was, um, it was around from 1937 to 1975. And um, I was trying to find out how, uh, their publication numbers, which apparently is hard to do. But I found a, um, uh, I've actually picked up some True Magazines from the 50s. And I found one copy said that they had a circulation of uh, 3 million. Oh. So I'm assuming that's wow. 3 million circulation for the year. So they were selling, it was a monthly magazine, and they were selling about 150,000 know, copies per month. So where we were familiar with uh, like Life Magazine, and we should mention uh, Life Magazine actually had an article on UFOs and Look Magazine. That's magazine the one was hugely popular. Yeah. Uh, published, it was a weekly magazine, and Life Magazine published 150,000 per week. And then Look Magazine, which is every two weeks, which is competitor for, for Life Magazine, published the same. All these magazines would publish about 150,000. This is in the 50s, though, right? Yeah, well, in, what now, says, TV and radio. Yeah, it said so 19. This is a big entertainment. In May 9, 1949, that's when Ken Purdy, the editor of True Magazine, contacted Kehoe to get rolling on this uh, 
UFO story. Yeah, and that was uh, that was because his contacts in the Pentagon, if I remember. Right. Yeah, they said and they said was, we, uh, and he was an aviator or, a or an aviator trainer. Right. So for months in the late forties, or actually nineteen forty nine, there were a lot of saucer sightings. And, um, you know, that's what he was tasked to, you know, look into. And are, are these things real? And, you know, what's going on with them? Yeah, um, yeah and that was, um, because I should say that you got me look, reading on that stuff, which is actually pretty good. But I never realized how big a deal this was at the time. I mean, apparently it was huge. And um, in the book he talks about that one guy flying the p-51 the crash yeah mantel yeah there was three of yeah, them that yeah the... there was three of them and then that was one that where they went up and they were chasing this ufo and then the other two broke off he continued up and then all of a sudden the plane disintegrated and fell to the ground for no apparent reason they didn't find any radio i mean they say they didn't find any radioactive uh um, indication on the ground, so they weren't sure if the thing, if there really hasn't been any um, it, proof of a flying saucer shooting down a, you know, aircraft, you know, there hasn't been any reports that I've seen. Usually they just chase them until they crash. They right? chase them until they, yeah, they chase them until they can't catch them, basically, and then they fly off, you yeah. know. But, yeah, well, that that one with that that incident, the um, what they speculated was that the guy, two, the two guys peeled, the two other pilots peeled off when they reached a certain altitude. Yeah, because they didn't have oxygen. Right. And this guy's like, I'm just going. He's like, I'm just going for another ten thousand feet. So he kept going, and they think that he just passed out because of the lack of oxygen. So and then um, you know the plane goes into a spin, and you know then you can't, you know then you're really screwed. Well, because of the debris, it so came up, though, because of the, I believe, because of the debris field, they said the thing had disintegrated before it hit the ground. And they, they're, yeah, yeah, they're, yeah, they're, so they're trying to figure out, okay, well, what caused that? But, you know, it was kind of a crazy, you know, kind of a crazy thing, well, you know. So, and then our, our favorite uh, scientist, which I think we'll talk about once we get to his books, um, Heineck. Heinrich, right. yeah, Heinrich. Heinrich. He, um, he actually, I didn't know it from the book, you don't see that, but there was those articles in that site, uh, the Project 1947 site. Right. They had a couple articles from, um, what, uh, what was it, the, uh, what was it, magazine? Uh, the Saturday Evening Post. And they actually mentioned Heinrich was one of the investigators of that crash, which Kehoe doesn't mention in his book. Well, you know, Heineck, tell me about, what's that? tell me about Project Saucer. Let's get off that real quick. But now you've, you sent me, I'm like, I know, is Saucer really Project Blue Book? Because he indicates in the book that that was kind of a name that, you had sent me an article Saucer, though that said that the Saucer was real and I, I never could find anything on it. Is it Blue Book? Project Saucer, Project Saucer was the name that 
the press gave to uh, the Project Blue Book. Project Blue Book had like three different names, like Project Grudge and Project something else. Sign. I remember the other like one. Then, then it became Project Blue Book. But the press, the, the according to the article in the Washington uh, Saturday Evening Post, um, the name of the investigation, the project name was classified. So the reporters, like Kehoe, couldn't use the real name, which was, I can't remember what it was. It might have been Project Grudge. And yeah. they couldn't use that name because it was a classified designation. So they just called it Project Saucer. So that's where the confusion comes from. It's not an official name. It's a name that was given by the press because they couldn't use the official name. Okay. Yeah. I saw that yesterday when I was looking at some stuff. Yeah, because I'm like, I don't see Saucer, but, and you know, as we go through, you know, Project Blue Book, they seem to be, and there's a lot of mention here on Saucer, which is Sign or Blue Book or whatever, that they're not really well, tapped. There was three, and there was, there were three projects, and they all eventually sort of were bundled into Project Blue Book. Yeah, and, and really Blue Book was, they're just, you know, trying to redirect, you know, they go and report, I thought they were reporting on these Saucer things. And reporting on the saucer things back and then trying to get some information. They, they were just trying to get the public to think that there was something else out there from Venus or, you know, some other reason that they saw this, you know, swamp gas or whatever it is, a balloon. Oh, yeah. That's a, you know, they didn't yeah, tell. Yeah, that's, that, that's, what, that's what Blue Book that's does. That's the point I was trying to. That's the point I was trying to get through with that Heineck when he looked at that P-51 crash. He's the one that came up and said, oh, it looks like it's Venus. And um, during the day, and he goes, oh, I didn't really realize that I can't, I, you know, that it was, was, uh, was Venus, was that visible during the day. I, find, I actually find it hard to believe that a pilot would change the planet Venus during, chase the planet Venus during the day. So, I mean, it's sort of a, well, it's an explanation, but it's, it's, like a lot of these explanations are sort of like grasping at straws. Right. Well, they figured out that Venus wasn't, couldn't have been a factor as they, as they went through the investigation. I mean, they, they use that as an, a reason, but Heineck, that was his job to get the public to get steered away from the saucer. Um, the saucer thought um, he was to direct them, but then he reported back to his superiors, which were in the air force. What really happened? He knows that that wasn't a, f a planet. He knew they don't really know exactly what happened, but they know that it was really a saucer, but that's his job. That was part of his job and the air force uh, officer that, um, worked with him. That was their job to, what's the word? Just to, disprove? Yeah, disprove that it's a, um, yeah, they were yeah, it was a flying saucer. They, yeah, but they knew it was. And, you know, so as you go through these things and you hear Project Saucer, that's their job to, you know, dissuade. Didn't they mention Project Saucer in the, the TV show Project Blue Book? Yeah, they did, and they, yeah. exactly for what Bill said. Yeah. It's, you know, it, because they, that's what the public was calling it. Right. 
you know, they knew they were blue book, but, you know, they said, well, the public can call us anything they want. We know what our internal designation for it was. Blue book didn't come out till later. I mean, blue book was always there, but we didn't, we as a public didn't really know what it was until much later. You know. Oh yeah, here, I'm looking at, hang on. So yeah, in 40, so 49, there was a lot of, uh, you know, there was a lot of sightings, and we don't know why, you know, the, the all of a sudden in 1949. We can only surmise that because of our, you know, our nuclear ambitions, as it were, came out that whoever this is, is not happy with our direction we're taking with our nuclear missiles, and that we're going to destroy ourselves, whether these we say aliens are from another planet or are actually based here on earth. They didn't, they, they weren't happy with what was going on, you know? So. So one of the things that, that came up that was real interesting was, um, life magazine came out with an article about the, at the same time it's mentioned in, uh, the second book by Kehoe flying saucers from outer space. And Life Magazine, they mapped out, it's in the article, and it's hard to get a copy. It's, you can find it online in the article, but the actual magazine has um, Marilyn Monroe on the cover, and it was the first time that Marilyn Monroe was on the cover of a major magazine. So if you want to pick up a copy of that old magazine, it's expensive, it's a collector's item. But in that magazine, it has an article on UFOs that maps out the sightings, and a lot of the sightings are over nuclear facilities, which caused a lot of concern. Yeah, and they like actually... Alamos. Yeah. Well, they were even over, and they called it Sassoon, which is now Travis. It was called um, something Sassoon, um, because, of course, it was in Sassoon Bay down there in the Bay Area. Um, we only got the orb sighting, so you know the little, the little what are probably just small. They're probably not even manned. They're like orbs, and they fly around and they look at stuff. But they were down there, so I'm wondering if you know we had nuclear missiles. We probably did have nuclear missiles at Travis, I would imagine. We probably still do. Um, well, um, mm, yeah, there's actually. I'm trying to think. It's there's actually there's a nuclear storage facility. Uh, not at Travis. Where where was it? It's uh, closer to Richmond. Oh yeah, we've and driven through actually, there. Yeah, I know. They look like a bunch of bunkers. You can actually see it from the road. Yeah, I forgot. I forget the name. It's been a while, but I forget the name of the facility because that was actually a storage facility for nuclear weapons. And where we grew up, remember the Nike missile base? Oh yeah. Well, we had nukes that there. Had where, <laughs> there was a nukes in it. So we, where we grew up, there was like nuclear missiles um, within a mile of our homes. Yeah, that's fun. So, yeah, good stuff. And that was, and those, those were supposed to, those were anti-ICBM missiles. They would, what they would do is a, when a nuclear missile was coming in to target the town, they would launch the Nikes, and the Nikes would go up, and the nukes, the Nike nukes would go off and wipe out the. Um, the ICBMs. 
Luckily, yeah. Luckily, we never had to use that. That's a frightening thought. Yeah. Nuclear weapons right, right near us. I was looking up the uh, the the names of the project. So 1947, it was called Project Sign, and Project Sign was uh, classified, which is why the press called it Project Saucer. Then in 1949, it became Project Grudge. And then uh, after that, it was uh, renamed as the Project Blue Book. So yeah, that's where the, um, in, I guess in 1952. So I guess that's where the confusion of the names comes from. So the, you know, so there's, so all across the U.S. we're having these, you know, we're having these sightings and things. Um, so what do you think it was? Do you think it was... Uh, Venus? Was it Venus? <laughs> was it Venus? Was it a balloon? Roswell was 47, right? Roswell was 47. We've done so many segments. Yeah, on Roswell. I think so. Oh, there's a, um, if you want to look it up, there's a guy who um, just got a document release from, uh, who did he get it from? So the guy just got a document released from U.S. Defense Intelligence Agency about uh, analysis of material from uh, Roswell. So I'll send you the link. Was it a was it balloon, was it balloon Kevlar, <laughs> or was it balsa uh, no, wood, or was it, a, it was it a dummy, or was it? He's <laughs> saying it's it's saying it's a, a metamaterial like a. Um, you know, really uh, unusual material and stuff. Is that the one where they crinkle it up in your hand and it opens up and it's like, because it isn't even creased anymore? Yeah. Oh, can they make clothes out of it? Yeah, that, yeah, yeah. no. Yeah, you'd never have to iron anything. <laughs> Wait, just, Debbie says we need to make clothing out of that. Anything that doesn't wrinkle, oh, yeah. please. Yeah. Yeah, the uh, um, non wrinkle. Mm -hmm. Non wrinkle clothing. Yeah, we need that. So yeah, now the the Venus explanation for the P fifty one the crash that's 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 just silly. I don't believe that. And there was um, you know there's a lot of the stuff. The big thing in the forties forty seven and stuff is they were they were doing a lot of this uh, balloon research. So there was a lot of like weather balloons and cosmic ray detectors and all this other stuff because apparently they thought that uh, we could use cosmic rays for powering things yeah because they're very energetic particles so a lot of that they people were saying or the air force was saying the investigators are saying it's it's uh, balloons and things like that and some of them were and even in kehoe's first book there's like one of the i have to look it up but one of the descriptions that somebody saw they were flying over the south somewhere they saw a missile test the description was just, it was just a missile test, and that was actually reported as a, as a UFO, but, you know, that, you take that with a, you know, a grain of salt, and the thing that, that uh, got me sort of looking at this and interesting in it is that even Hynek, who came in as a complete skeptic, Professor Hynek came in as a complete skeptic on this thing after, what, 30, 40 years 
uh, 20 years, sorry, after doing this for 20 years, he, he comes out and he says, well, there's 20% of the phenomena that don't fit into a plausible explanation. And he felt strongly that that phenomena should be investigated and studied, either as, you know, potential as, you know, UFOs in the classical sense, or as a type of phenomena that we don't understand and we should be able to understand. Yeah, there's, you know, this thing about, you know, if a UFO is spewing flame and smoke, it's probably not a UFO. You know, yeah, it's a, this, it's it's something in earthly. Yeah, you, know, you don't think yeah. they're fuel the 19... fossil fuel? Yeah. <laughs> well, you know, they they they, we, we, they say that you know, well, we it was well, the other thing was that it's ours. You know, we're we're it, it, it's not from another planet; it's ours. And you familiar with the flying flapjack? That thing that looks like yeah, a, yeah. you know what it looks like? They were saying that that key, every time they I see one of these UFO things on history channel one of the blips in the beginning of it they show the flight flapjack well that fucking thing could hardly even leave the ground you know that thing would didn't oh, yeah. do anything the videos are great you know yeah, it's like why are we showing this like a foot of <laughs> why are we why are we showing this and the other thing is they had and i tried to find i saw one picture of this and i don't know if you ran across it while you were you were looking around is that they said we can make these and they had a guy and it was so comical. The, the saucer was made. I don't know what it was, how it was powered, but it did. It did levitate off the ground about three feet, and it had a guy. It was six about six feet wide. It was a saucer. There was no canopy. It was a guy sitting in the middle of it, and they rolled this thing out for the press to show them. Yeah, this is. We can do this. It's just us. Oh, these are flying saucers right here. This is yeah, exactly they look, they can, look at this. This is what you're seeing. It's and it's this guy. It was so comical. All that was missing was the, you know, the 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 canopy, all clear canopy that looked like a fishbowl, mm -hmm. and it looked like a Jetsons thing. Like the Simpsons alien. Yeah, it was yeah the Simpsons <laughs> alien. Yeah, it, I, I don't I don't know. I mean, I I I like to. I'm like typical. I like to believe in it. I don't remember growing up. Did you and I know my brother Kevin and I were huge into this. Did we? I don't, did we ever have we had discussions about many things? We weren't really. I was huge into it. Were you? Did you ever follow this at all when well, we were growing up? Yeah, yeah. I had um, you know one of the things that I, I that I have. I still got them. I'm gonna slide over and grab them. Yeah. Uh, There's this guy called uh, Frank Edwards who used to do. Uh, uh, like a radio show, I guess. I didn't know this, but he published all these books, and it's like Strangest of All, and Stranger Than Science, and Strange World, and Strange People. And um, years ago, I picked up a book that I didn't even know that he wrote called Flying Saucer's Serious Business by um, Frank Edwards. And I, I, never, I haven't read it. I just I pulled it out because I had it in my, my books. I didn't have a receipt for the story part of that. And he um, he would write about flying saucers. So yeah, oh, and I also, yeah, I, I was into that. We probably talked about it. I don't remember. Well, I know we were into like, something that was sort of cool. Yeah, I remember all the, the hunting and fishing and doing other, you know, fun things. And yeah, I just don't remember. When but Kevin and I wanted to develop, right? We were so into it. We wanted to, like, it was big. I remember it was giant in the 70s you know 
you know, the flying, you know, I don't know if you've read this, the flying saucer appearances have kind of, they've slowed down a lot. There isn't as much as, it, maybe we just don't look up enough, but they, they've tapered off in the 80s. You know, there just isn't as much out there as there was back when. Nobody's, you know? nobody's looking up anymore. We're all looking down at our We're all looking at our phones, so we don't see it, I guess. Maybe, yeah, I, I don't know. I think that's a factor. So one of the things, too, to remember about 1947 when this stuff started out is uh, airplanes were fairly new. So I don't remember when uh, Kitty Hawk was, but we went from Kitty Hawk was like 1919 or something. And um, when the Wright brothers flew their plane a hundred yards or something, we went from Kitty Hawk to um, you know, supersonic jets breaking the sound barrier and stuff like that within you know 40, 50 years. Right. And this was after this was the end of World War II, and you had a lot of people that were trained to um, be observers for you know enemy aircraft and all this other stuff. So a lot of people were trained to look at the sky, and a lot of people did look at the sky. Well, it wasn't, so I think it, it was more likely that too. unusual things would, people would see unusual things at the time. Well, back in the and day. And radar was new, too. Yeah, there was a time when it was exciting to see something in the sky. Now it's just, yeah, there's a plane. Yeah. There's a helicopter. December 17th, 1903 was Kitty Hawk. Wow. Oh, wow. Okay. All right, Dad, I don't know my... Idiotic. Well, I had to look it up. I didn't know either. Uh, yeah, I happened to pull that out. I just we knew it. From... That was not in Doug's brain. That was not my... There's a lot of stuff up here that wasn't in there. I had to. I had to grab a tablet. <laughs> yeah. Well, I have, a, I have a computer in front of me, and I have a tablet next to me. I could look it up. Yeah, I got. I threw the. I just. Debbie just grabbed the tablet. She's like, okay, she could be our. I can Google. She could Google whatever we need to as we go along. I can Google at the best of them. We went from flying a little little glider plane with a little engine 100 yards to uh, the moon in 65 years. Yeah, so I think we had help. I mean, that's the other thing here that we're, we're you know, not really missing, but we know that we didn't, we didn't do this on our own. You know, we had. Well, if you look at what we've when we've tried to recreate it, the fact that the things wouldn't get off the ground probably means the things up in the sky didn't come from us. Yeah, yeah, we can't. <laughs> we well, can't. we're trying to reverse engineer these things. I mean, have you heard? I mean, you've heard. Uh, you know how we're, you know, Joe Rogan and. Yeah, that guy. Lazar. Yeah, that guy, Bob Lazar. Did have you heard the Bob Lazar story? Do you, have yeah, you heard of Bob Lazar? Awesome. Uh, his, his, uh, the guy is interesting. The guy is real interesting. There's no way that dude's lying. And his story. No way he's lying. What's that? There's no way that guy's lying. I yeah, think. I, I don't know. I, yeah, I, <laughs> yeah, I gotta say, um, I gotta say, he's he's consistent. He's smart. Um, so yeah, I, I mean, a lot of these things, I, I keep a, I keep an open mind, but my sort of standard answer is I just don't know. Yeah, we don't know. Um, we don't know. We what we want to believe. Bob Lazar is awesome. His story is amazing. He never changes so, his story one bit. And uh he and Rogan, you know, did did you watch the Joe Rogan Bob Lazar YouTube? Um Oh yeah, of course. It was it was uh it was unbelievable. I mean a couple couple trips ago to the up to Jeff's cabin Steve and I listened to it on the way, and it was, I think I mentioned to you guys when we got there, I go, man, you got to 
got to listen to this this guy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think he told me I did listen to it. It was, it was yeah, it's good stuff. Yeah, there's so yeah. uh, we can't and you know they blew. bought stuff. I've bought stuff from his business. I didn't know about the UFO stuff before, but I've ordered stuff from his business in the past. What is it? Chemicals? Well, it ours. Is it? What does he make? What is? He is basically like a scientific supply company, but it's for um, like fun, fun stuff, fun, yeah. whatever. So uh, he he actually provides if you want to do some things like fireworks. Um, my wife was a teacher, and one of the things that she taught was uh got the students to get the students really engaged was about fireworks and he's one of the few places that you can actually or could i don't know if you can still do it he was one of the few places where you could actually buy components to make your own fireworks wow if you want to get kids interested in science you know that's a great way of doing it and he was and he was like the one of the only places i think that you could get stuff from because people are the kids are gonna blow themselves up. Yeah, we can't do that. You know. It's, it's... Yeah, I was in. Hey, I'll tell you this. I was in. Uh, I picked up some a uh, couple bottles of propane for the camping stove, and uh, the kid at the counter goes, "You need to put your birth date in." That little what you're talking about? That little one pound thing, uh, right? The little yeah. canister. Yeah, and I go, I go, well, this is ridiculous. And the kid goes, yeah, yeah, they do this with anything that's fun. <laughs> like spray yeah, paint? Yeah, paint. <laughs> Ooh, don't buy spray paint and spray paint. You can't buy spray paint either without having Spray paint, yeah, it's the same thing. I think me and the kid were talking about. Same thing with spray paint. He goes, yeah, you can't, you know, they, they do this with anything fun. <laughs> Completely straight face. I felt sorry. I mean, it's like, uh, <laughs> well, it's it's cool. He goes, yeah, I have to do this for anything fun. <laughs> it's yeah, so yeah. true. Yeah. <laughs> well, kids are just—they're not as smart as they used to be. We used to be able to do this stuff without blowing ourselves to pieces. I don't know what happened with the, um, you know, with <laughs> what happened with the world's children. Kids can't handle explosives anymore. What, what kid blows his hand off now? Nobody could buy anything. That's right. <laughs> so, I mean, how many times have we we uh, had firecrackers go off in our hands? Oh yeah. <laughs> yeah. Too many. <laughs> so that, that'll, that'll teach you to respect. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I managed to keep my hand and everything. Well, at least knock on wood so far. So far. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Knock on wood, definitely. So, um, so let's roll in. Let's let let's. Oh, oh, oh! Uh, we were talking about. I want to come back to this. We were talking about people not looking up up at the sky anymore. Yeah. And in the book, Kehoe's book, Flying Saucers from Outer Space. He was talking to and interviewing a Canadian uh, engineer that was part of a group that was investigating uh, UFOs for the Canadian government. And this guy did an experiment, or his group did an experiment. They took a balloon and they put a, like a big metal sphere on it, and then they hung a light to shine on it. And then they, uh, I think it was a, it might have been a blinking light to shine on it. And they released it over the city of Toronto at night on a perfectly clear night. And it was an experiment to see how many people would report this artificial UFO. 
Guess how many people reported it? Like one. <laughs> no. Yeah, yeah. No, that's not. <laughs> when was this? What, what year? What year? You know, we want to get a feel for how many people will see a UFO in a certain population, so we're going to do this experiment. Nobody noticed it. What, what year was it? What year was that? Do you know? I mean, what era? What was that, uh, was that, that was still in, in the forties, or was that? Look it up. That was in the Spear and the Light in Toronto. Not having questions. You're gonna to have to fill the space with. Uh, yeah, we're gonna to have to fill the space up with other things. I was just curious. Well, I this, this was. So the first, uh, so we always have to get back to the seven ship. I think it was like well, five or seven ships where the the, the term saucer was coined over Mount Rainier. The pilot that saw five flying saucers and. You know, we I don't we I don't this is probably the third or fourth <laughs> segment we've probably talked about this. It was it's we've we've covered the saucers. We're big in India, Bill. Did I tell you that? What's that? We're big in India. You're we're big. India is. Oh, you guys are. You should be. <laughs> why are we big in India, Bill? Had, India, I know you're listening. I don't I, know. I'm I'm well, having India, trouble. They, English is the official government language, so people can listen to it. Okay. That's one thing. We have a lot of, uh, I mean, when I was teaching, I taught a lot of Indian students at the university. Yeah. So, I don't know. Um, it's almost as big as, honestly. seeing UFOs in India, so there's it, interest in it. It's honest, honestly, it's as, almost as big in India as it is in the U.S. It's, since we started, you know, it's, and we haven't, um, I, I'm begging them to send in a, into uh, alienprobepodcast at gmail.com send in questions and comments and you know tell me why it's interesting or tell me why we can you know what we can do better it's uh, um, I'm just curious oh I'd love to know who's listening yeah I would I'd love to hear from them, you know it's a, it's a big country though it's a billion people yeah and there's a I have a, a one of my the guys that I work with uh he is from Indonesia, and he says, well, they have spent a lot of time on trains, you know, because, tra you know, transportation over there. He goes, there's a lot of commuting uh -huh. on trains, and, you know, they just have a lot of time to, you know, uh, sign in and listen. So I'm happy, you know, but I'd really like to know what your thoughts are, India. <laughs> um, send me an email, you know. There's, we're on Twitter, we're on Instagram. You just can't miss us. Well, yeah, anyway. Yeah, there, um, um, I think there's one of the things that I, I feel when I look for material to listen to is like people are dying. I'm dying for quality content to listen to and interesting things. It's, it's hard to find. Yeah. So anyway, I found a, there's a chapter in uh, the book. Kehoe's book, The Canadian Project, and the guy running it was Wilbur B. E. Smith, which is a very generic name. I should say, when I've been reading uh, some of these Kehoe books, I'll I'll look up some of these names, and because uh, I'm like, oh, this can't, this can't, I got I got to debunk this. I got to look this stuff up and see who these these people are, so prove that they don't exist or something. <laughs> these people are real. Uh, in the first book, there's a, a scientist, a physicist named Wiseacre. Yes. Did you see that? Yes, I saw Wiseacre. Yeah, like, oh, is he real? Did yeah, you look up? Is, 
this isn't real. This isn't real. I had to look it up. It was a real guy, and he was real famous at the time. <laughs> so, um, yeah, Wilbur B. Smith was the uh, UFO guy in Canada, and he's the one, it looks like in 1950, he did this experiment. I'm not seeing exactly. This is a problem with a paper book. You can't search it like you can an e-book. Yeah. Uh, so in 1950, it looks like around 1950, he did the, uh, I'm guessing he did the experiment. So, well, but, you think that, that uh, would be a future I will actually mark things. What's that? Well, he said people, oh, this anyway. was in the 50s that he did this balloon experiment and people were not looking up at that time. Well, they always seem to see the balloons and all Well, that, they see the, you know, but you know, you'd think that more people well, this, are looking up in the 50s than are now. And now we've polluted the skies to the point where you don't see as much because there's so much light. Yeah. You can't, you, yeah, yeah. That's it's not true. like the old days when you could lay on the stars. Yeah. Exactly. So it was darker, the skies were darker. Mm -hmm. uh, people, uh, early 50s, I think television was just starting out. And then people listened to radio. And I think people went out and, you know, do things more in the evening, like stroll. Yeah, we're just, we're all in here watching our TVs and looking at our tablets and phones, and we just don't go. Sure. I constantly look at the sky and find weird things, but I've never... You've never seen anything, Bill? You've, I mean, you're in Florida, uh, this, I, besides no, the space I, shuttle. I, once, once I thought I saw something, and um, I was sure it was, uh, it was a very bright star. It was probably Venus, and it looked like it was moving, and I was like, holy, holy moly. I got one. I got one. And it was, uh, yeah, and it looked like it was moving, and I'm watching it, I'm watching it, and I finally realized it wasn't moving. The yeah, we've got that here. Yeah, yeah, we have Venus. But it was exciting for, it was exciting for uh, a little bit. And, uh, but did it look uh, like a flying saucer? It was, it, 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 uh, it was a bright light. It was directly overhead, and... Um, the clouds were, you know, moving quickly. It was like the low fog, you know what it's like. Yeah. Where we grew up. And uh, it was the low fog was moving and it made it look like it was moving. So it was, yeah, I was in a parking lot. It was the evening. Um, I was with a girl. So, yeah. Huh. Interesting. She started going, come here, come here. Take me away or something like that. <laughs> we, we it out. Let's go. <laughs> um, and then we're looking at it, and it was like, oh yeah, it's a, it's a star. So have you the? Um, we were disappointed. Have you? Did you see Fire in the Sky, the Travis Walton UFO abduction story? We we just watched it the other day. No. It's in the seventh. Uh, I'm not sure. Yeah, it takes place in the seventh. Takes place in the seventies. Came out in the eighties. He he was allegedly. Taken by, we're going to do a segment on that in the, in, coming up in the next couple of weeks. But he was taken away. They were cutting wood out in the in the forest, and then all of a sudden they saw this bright light, and they drove to see what it was. And then this guy jumps out of the, like you said, like the girl said that you were talking about. He ran toward the light, and then all of a sudden he gets zapped. The UFO, there was a UFO. All five of these guys. C or six. See this yeah, thing. There was a group of guys. Yeah, there were a group of guys in this pickup because they were driving. They done cutting wood. It was the eve. It was in late early evening, you know, like five or whatever. 
uh, six, I should say. And um, so this one guy, Travis, decides he wants to run toward the light. You know, uh, they haven't even started drinking yet, I don't think. But um, and then all of a sudden he gets he gets the light. He gets hit by this like lightning bolt looking thing, and they get scared and they said, "Oh, I'm out," and they drive off. Well, they after a little while, the yeah, there's a couple different stories because again, Rogan, he's like my favorite podcast, um, next to my own, of course. The um, he they said they stop and the driver says, "Look, I got to go back for him, and anybody wants to come with me." And they said, "I think in the movie they dumped him off." Yeah, but. He said that that didn't happen, that they all went back and they tried to find him. So there's a little difference. It's only because Hollywood, probably. Um, so they go back to there. They can't find him. Dude's gone. So he's um, away for five days and then all of a sudden shows back up at a, at a uh, gas station in the somewhere in the vicinity of uh, somewhere in the vicinity of uh, the place where, um, well, I don't say in the vicinity of their town, I should say, I don't know how close they were from where he was picked up, but he said he went up there and then they, they showed, I mean, I mean, obviously the movie, but you know, there was differences in the movie and I, I saw the movie and I'm like, Holy shit. You know, this, and this really happened to this guy. And then I heard the Rogan interview and I, I wasn't as convinced after the if you it's Travis Walton if you ever get a minute um, sign yeah. in Rogan Joe Rogan and Travis Walton interview and listen to after his interview I didn't believe it I really didn't believe it it's like Rogan's like okay so he had the same clothes on when he got dropped off he goes you were there for five days how'd you go to the bathroom mm -hmm. you know <laughs> just like there's, uh, there's the important question that was, that's a hard hitting but real question dude didn't i guess there was something that did what you know and then they had this one of the aliens looked like a human and he had this he he had this bowl on his head that looked the way he described it, it looked like a fish bowl oh god on his head you know yeah. it just sounds like he dripped this whole thing or it's a you know i don't want to debunk the thing it was you know of course i want to believe but after the rogan interview i said you know i don't know this is like you know I don't know if this is. Uh, I don't know. I don't know if I believe this as much as I did when I watched the movie. Yeah, yeah he might have gone on a five-day bender and just came back. I yeah, I was, I was, I was, I was, I was kidnapped by a UFO. Well, they they gave everybody a lie detector test. I mean, I've been, like I said, we're going to talk about it in uh, the yeah. next couple of episodes. We'll talk about it, but it's. Um, yeah, he says he got beamed up to the ship, you know, and then they, you know, he's there five days, and it's, you know, they show in the, what they show in the movie was like 10 minutes worth of him in the ship. It was hardly. Well, that takes money to make those kinds of yeah, effects. So. Yeah, that's true, but I mean, it just, and he said that he like pushed one and they were really light, and he knocked them over and it scared them, and then like, it's almost like he scared them into taking them back to where you show those aliens yeah you boss. showed them you know yeah. and um i don't know it's uh, yeah but I, 
They needed to give him a drug test too. No, they probably should have gave yeah, him. Like, yeah, yeah, that might have been a good. I didn't hear anything about a drug screen. But you know, no. But anyway, they all pass. They all pass the lie detector test. But there was some, as we'll talk about. There's some disparity about the lie detector test also. But none of them cracked. You know, they all they. You know, none of them because usually you get five people and somebody's gonna say, "Yeah, that was bullshit." You know, and yeah, um, yeah. somebody's gonna pay somebody pay because somebody's gonna pay one of them to to tell that this thing is, you know, yeah, we made it up. And why, um, I don't know if there was an abduction, there was another abduction or there was a movie about some abduction or something that had come out just prior to his abduction. That's another thing that came out. And so they're thinking that he may have like, Oh, look at that. And then I'm going to, you know, they'll believe me. And I'd be curious as to he probably went to motel six and with her fake name. I don't know. Um, I mean, we the fine day bender. Maybe you know, could could have happened. Yeah, hey, people people do that. Yeah, I don't know. It's like you compare. You got to compare that to uh, that guy to Bob Lazar. Yeah. It's like you, you said you're watching this guy and you're going, ah, I don't know if I believe the story, but you watch Bob Lazar and when you look at him telling his story, you're going, you know, I want to believe his story and it's just really compelling. So and you you know. So sometimes your gut instinct on judging people is a good way to go. So the second book, the second oh. Kehoe book, what does he explore? Uh, what, what does he uh, explore in that book? So, so in the second book, what? So if we go back to that, to the first book, the first book is is it a different time frame? Him. Well, the first book is the. 52 or something and then the second it's 49 first later. book's 49 to, it's, it's almost like it's only 49 oh, well, it's only you a, got 49 okay so yeah 40 well it was only 49 it was just him doing that one true and really in the have you ever seen the project blue book the series i've watched a few episodes actually they they have yeah, good. they it's really not bad. I mean, I, I forced Debbie to watch it, you know, and uh, so on one of the episodes, Heineck is actually being interrogated by the men in black. Now, they're different than Project Blue Book. They're I don't know what oh, we haven't gotten to that part. Men in black are different. They're different because yeah, I, <laughs> I thought men in black and Blue Book were kind of the same, but they're not. They're the evil they're they're like really you know there's a lot of violence so they got Heineck in this uh you know they're interrogating him and telling him okay I, it takes place after the true after this after the true article came out and they were uh not really interrogating but they were harassing him about the article hmm. so it was really kind of interesting how it kind of folds into the into the book, but that's around 49. So the new book, that's what kind of time frame were we talking about? The new book came out in 1953. And I mean, the the Project Blue Book movie also takes a lot of creative license with it. Oh, sure. Yeah. And Heineck, in his book, although I haven't read it yet, his 
this book that I picked up. I think you got a copy too. The Edge of Reality it is. I don't know if I got that one. Uh, there's a chapter. Did you get that one? I don't know. I, 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 the uh, yeah, you did. You did because mine had a cover. That's right. Yeah, but the, you know what? That's a lot of that. I don't know. It almost looks like um, re, a book to be used for research. Almost. I don't know if I could. You know, but his book, that book, yeah, yeah. I mean, he's a it's like a recent, it's, it's like a, it's, it's like a um, book, school book, it's like a school book, you know, it's, but it's good, it's good and it has good information, good reference book, you know. I don't know if I could get through it. On Men in Black, did you see that? What's that? He has a chapter on the Men in Black, I believe. I'll have to at least have to. I'll read it. It's just not one of those that I'll be able to. I think sit down and, you know. Yeah, did you read the whole? To, did you read yeah, that it's one? It's going to be work. Yeah, I don't like to work that hard on reading. Um, yeah, I'll I'll get to it. I'm gonna. Uh, I have uh, a couple more Kino books to read. So the second. So the, what's the second one about then? I mean, what's it kind of? What's so, he? Okay. So in the second one, what he is what he's done. So the first book, he basically, uh, what would, what would you say what he did with the first book is just sort of like introducing, uh, UFOs and he's talking about the, how the Pentagon is responding to it and his investigation. And basically I think he does a really good job. at just sort of being a good reporter. And I have to say that uh, Kehoe is, you know, he believes this stuff is like from space. So, and, and that comes across in his books, and that's okay. But generally, as a reporter, it seems like he's, he's pretty solid. And he was writing for a big magazine, which is True Magazine, which is, you know, 150,000 issues a, a month is not a bad sales. No, not for the amount of population book. we had back then. I mean, really. Yeah, yeah. I mean, this that's is, good circulation. People, this is a, a main, main form of entertainment for people. So the... Um, the second book, he's, he's, he, the first chapter, which I found real interesting, he's interviewing a, um, he writes it in a, you know, sort of almost like a novel type style. And he's uh, interviewing a pilot that he knows. And um, he asked the guy to sort of like define the criteria for definitely um, identifying a UFO. So how, what, what is the criteria? And the criteria that comes out of that in the first chapter is if ground radar detects the object, right? Ground radar sends an airplane to intercept the object. And the planes at that time have uh, intercept radar. So the criteria is ground radar targets in the aircraft. The aircraft's radar can see the UFO and the pilot can see the UFO. So he's, that's the basic criteria for what he's saying is a definite UFO sighting. Is those things you got the pilot witness, you got two radar signals, um, and then he goes with that as you know for the rest of the book. And then he's looking at different uh, different sightings, and he actually at the back uh, lists a bunch of sightings that fit this uh, fit this criteria. So he's got. Uh, it's a list of air technical intelligence UFO sightings and other information secured and cleared for me by Mr. Albert N. Chop, Air Force Press Desk. Uh, some of these, let me see. 
Are they saying that is, is it a legit sighting if we pick it up on radar? Can we catch those on radar? So what? So what he's saying is that that he would count a. And he's a little loose in the book, but generally he's saying a solid sighting, a solid UFO sighting is radar, an aircraft, a fighter aircraft sent to intercept as a visual. The pilot can see the UFO, and the aircraft radar, uh, radar can see the UFO. He says that's sort of what he considers the basic solid UFO identification. So let's see. Yeah, I've got a guy is going to come on um, also in a couple of weeks who was in the Korean War, and he's seen UFOs and seen them. He was a radar operator on an aircraft, and he's seen them on radar, and he's actually seen them. So he's and he's a real UFO so buff. What's that? He's a real what? Yeah, he's a real UFO buff now. I mean, he wasn't before, but he says now he wants. You know, he wants to go on the ship. He says I'll go. I, I hey, me personally, I'm not going on a UFO because I don't want to. I don't want to be in that sack that yeah. I have to cut open and, you know, I get claustrophobia. I don't want to yeah. do it. You well, know? The probe? You don't want to be probed. No, I don't want to be probed. So here's, um, yeah. So here's what I was talking about. He said, here's, here's one of the sightings that he, he has listed in his book. He goes, an aircraft and warning station in Michigan, July 29, 1952, reported an extremely important case, ground control intercept, radar tracked UFO by radar target speed 550 knots chased by F-94s one got a radar lock on right flashing light seen at the same time same position um, here's another one Korea area this is the guy that you're going to interview he was in Korea yeah yeah he was a radar operator in Korea yeah the Korea area February 7th 1950 Three, radar picked up a UFO, an F-94 scrambled. Pilot saw a bright orange-colored object, which changed altitudes, pulled away at high speed. Yeah. Um, we'll leave it at that. What's also interesting in this book is it has an appendix, and I don't know if you've seen this, but the Air Force actually had a one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine page form that you would fill out if you saw a UFO. Nine pages? Nine pages. <laughs> You'd get tired of Yeah, I'd lose interest before. after about the, okay, forget it, too much paperwork. Yeah. Well, yeah, I think so. And then they also had a, have a uh, electronics data sheet for ground radar, which is one, two, three, four, only four pages for the radar operators to uh, report. But yeah, I was intrigued by that. And the Air Force actually uh, um, was developing a camera to try and take pictures of the UFOs. So they were they uh, built them and deployed them. Uh, and it's what he says in this book is that they apparently they're having technical difficulties with them. So I don't know what happened with that. So these were cameras that they would put at um, radar stations and aircraft uh, control towers and places like that, which was a peak of the light, I think, which can, you know, give you the position of an object tied in with the camera, which had a grid in it so you could do some sort of speed recording or something like that. So the Air Force actually did take it serious enough to develop technical equipment to uh, 
try and track this stuff and document it. Yeah, oh, interesting. Cool. All right, well, we're going to go ahead. Yeah. And we've, we've got almost our hour in. We're going to we're going to wrap it up. We will definitely do this again in the future. You have to come visit us again. Yeah, you're going to have to come out here. We've got a new dog. Yeah, oh, yeah, I saw the pictures. Yeah, I want to get out there. There's, um, there's I got no leaking dog here now. Yeah, we can talk about. I mean, there's uh, the Foo Fighters, which is real cool. And uh, I'll tell you about I'll send you something about that. Cool. Well, thanks. And, uh, th thanks for joining I to, us. I want to get into Heineck more and see what his books have to say. Cool. All right, sir. Thank you for joining us. All right. Thanks for listening to the latest episode of the Alien Probe Podcast. We welcome comments, questions, or requests to alienprobepodcast at gmail.com. Visit us on Facebook at the Alien Probe Podcast, our website at alienprobe.net, Twitter and Instagram at Alien Probe Pod. Find us on Spotify, Apple, and Google Podcasts. Thanks to our senior producer, Robert Anthony. See you next time.